Welcome to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin, and my guest uh, is uh, the famous Daniel Wallace, who is a wonderful teacher and is now— Daniel, you have, you're the James Ross McDonald Distinguished Professor of Creative Writing. That's right. I had so, to pay extra for the distinguished part. But what, would there be anything else you could put on it? I don't know. <laughs> is that, I don't know if I can gather up some more money. Well, you, you are distinguished, and uh, mm. you've done so many things I'd— I would love to talk to you about it. But what we're here to today to talk about is your uh, latest book, This Isn't Going to End Well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and let's try to—I'll try to talk about it. I, but if, if I start getting off track, would you get me back on track? Absolutely. Because there's so much about Daniel Wallace we'd like to talk. I guess that you're used to this, but every time uh, we mention you— because the big fish was such a popular story in a movie and Broadway musical, yeah, we have to talk about big fish. Right, right. We've talked about big fish now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your n- new book. This isn't going to end well. You know, it's 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 interesting that you bring that up because uh, I didn't. This is a memoir. This is uh, nonfiction. It's this factual. is your first nonfiction right. l- long book. Anyway. Yeah, and my last. Oh, 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 I'll absolutely not do it again. But it's um, it's it's um, a memoir I discovered in writing is a, a true story written by an unreliable narrator because that's what memory is, right? We don't really have a. It's very slippery. Uh, but as I was writing this book um, and digging deeper into the story of my life with my brother-in-law William, I came to see that this was. This is either the sequel to or the prequel to Big Fish. This influenced that book in ways that I didn't even know it did before writing it. Please talk some more about that. I, yeah. I didn't intend to go there, but yes, No, no it's very important. I think that um, Big Fish was a story about a son trying to get to know his father before he died, and his father told all these tall tales, creating a fictional version of himself for a son. And that's exactly what my brother-in-law, William Neely, does in this book, is that he really has two selves, the one that we would we would meet and talk to, and if he walked in today, that you would see, incredibly uh, confident, um, could do anything, fix anything, uh, was a nurse to my sister for decades, uh, a MacGyver-like character, but also a polymath. He read hundreds of books a year. Uh, then behind that, though, behind that facade that he had created was a different William. So that is in real life, in, 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 in fact, what I was writing about in Big Fish. Well, I may take us off on a diversion, but um, I, I didn't know William and I didn't know of William. Yeah. Uh, except that I knew that there was this extreme extremely talented guy who drew pictures of uh, falling water mm-hmm. in the uh, rivers that those of us who live in, in North Carolina on our adventures and days have gone down and we've gone down the rivers and we've hit yeah. rocks and we've uh, gone into eddies. And and then there's this guy who magnificently uh, draws a picture of the river and the obstacles and yeah. then makes it funny and funny. I'd been admiring this guy all my life. And, and, it, and a lot of people did and still do. He's iconic in the um, adrenaline sports world, especially in the whitewater world. 
he uh, is the major influence on me and why I think I became an artist or a writer to begin with. If it hadn't been for him, me meeting him when I was 12 years old, he was with my sister since I was 12 years old, uh, and then he moved up here, they moved up here, I followed them up here. Uh, he started publishing books. He wrote and, and illustrated all these books, and, and I saw through him that if he could do this, I could do this too. He offered me this possibility of a world that I didn't know existed. So I was, he was my mentor, even though he didn't really know he was my mentor, because that's not something that you would ever talk to your mentor about. I mean, being kind of the, the strong and silent type as he was. But um, then in 2001, he took his own life. And that changed the trajectory of everything and everybody's life and who survived him as it does, as suicide does. Ten years later, my sister, his wife, died. And when we were going through her things, I found his journals, his private journals, which displayed the secret side of him that nobody really ever knew about. And that is really what the book, what both started this idea of a book. Well, this is going to be my last question, but is this book about uh, William, the subject of the book, or is this your your book? You're is yeah. this, you're not going to need to write another memoir. Is this your? It's, is it's it? it tends up being about both of us. I think I think it's a memoir. I think it's a biography. I think it's an autobiography. I think it's true crime too. Um, there is uh, my life and William's life are inseparable. Uh, and um, even in his death, obviously, he lives um, with me. Um, I spent seven years writing this book. So um, I don't know that you could understand me without him. But at the same time, my story as a writer uh, who for the last, I don't know how, 30 years has you know, disappeared into a room and typed all day and then come out and presented something to somebody. That's not an exciting, exciting life. But I think that understanding this influence and seeing the kind of person, this wild and courageous person um, who um, allowed me to be wild and courageous on the page um, mm. is, is really my story. And I don't know that there's any other at this point in my life, uh, that there's anything else that I could say or any other story that I could tell that would be as as interesting to you as a reader as this one is. Well, just in terms of you, this, um, what would you be like if William hadn't come along and been a part of your life? Well, I think at the when I saw him for the first time jumping off the roof of my parents' house into the pool, I was 12 years old and. I was my uh, second year of private school where we had to wear a tie every day. My father had just become really successful in his business. It was called Wallace International. He imported stoneware and flatware. And and the, the protocol would be for me to do that too. It was his business and I was going to follow in his footsteps. In part because there was no other evidence that there was anything else 
for me to do. And why not, right? It's right there. Why not just do that? So, Well, a lot of people don't uh, who are your friends don't, don't know. I didn't know that your dad, kind of a self-made man, yeah. struck it rich. I mean, he it was the great American story yeah. of finding something that um, people needed and figuring out how to put it in their hands. And all of a sudden, whammo, he's an international, he's got an international company right. and he would want more than anything for you to succeed him. I mean, why else would he have built this big business other than to pass it on to the family and you didn't go there? You're right. And that's very disappointing for him and understandably disappointing. Well, would you have been good at it? No. I would not well, have been good at it. Yeah, well, now you're a people person. And I'm a people, and that's what he would always say. I'm a great people person and, and all that. But you also, there are other skills that are involved in running a business. And one of them is knowing how to add and subtract, which <laughs> is not... My metier. So I don't think that it would have been as good as all that. I don't, I don't want to belabor uh, this topic. I'll try not to, but I am interested in your experience as a businessman, and you, you did all right. You, well, you, you were, you, I mean, you were young, you were doing it, but you went overseas and you learned yeah. to uh, sell the Japanese. Uh, I lived in Nagoya, Japan for two years and Worked in the offices there, worked in warehouses, worked in um, factories there to learn the business from the ground up. And I could do that. It's easy to live in a foreign country and and just be able to experience all the difference and, and learn a new culture. But I didn't really like the idea of moving back to Birmingham, Alabama, where I'd grown up. and Where the headquarters where of the headquarters. your dad's company. Yeah, yeah. And, well, just and working there. off the subject, uh, before we take a quick break, real quick. What's happened to that business? Well, when he died in 1997, um, it was sold to a friend of his who had a similar business in Canada. So it it does not exist under the name Wallace International anymore. Well, uh, let's take a break. Okay. If you join us, join us late. I'm visiting with uh, Chapel Hill's Daniel Wallace. Uh, we're talking about his new book. Well, his latest book. Uh, this isn't going to end well, and he and I'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. If you did join us late, I'm visiting with uh, Chapel Hill's Daniel Wallace. <clears throat> He's a professor of creative writing. And help me get this—I bet you can't even remember your complete title. Uh, I can't. I don't know if I can spell it correctly. <laughs> distinguished J, professor. The J. Ross McDonald Distinguished <clears throat> Professor of English at the University of No North of creative writing. Uh Oh no, it's English. I think of it English. Is, it's English, yes. I'm 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 much broader than just a simple uh, some program. Got to correct some of your stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll creative writing is is more accurate actually because that is what I teach. Let's take a break from talking about your book. I, I I'm so interested in your book and the subject of your book. But uh, talk to us about teaching kids these days. Mm-hmm. You know, Chapel Hill's in uproar. As other people try to tell you uh, that you shouldn't teach them the way you have been teaching them. And right. How have you been teaching them that has made <laughs> it so controversial? Um, well, I don't think the creative writing at this point has been affected the way that the English department at large has or that the, um, that the university at large has. Uh, it, it, there are – 
there are subjects. There's, I will say there's self-censorship that goes on um, in teaching and in, in, in teaching creative writing in as much as that there are stories that I used to teach that I don't teach because there are elements of them that might be offensive to somebody. Um, there are like, like Flannery O'Connor is tough. And, it's tough and to teach. Wow, is Flannery O'Connor tough uh, to teach? I got stuff in her work that is uh, that sets off people and says we can't, we can't. I mean, she's um, a, a old, an old Southern voice who, um, more than some other Southern writers, in fact, has a kind of a um, writing about the people who she knew about. They were kind of flippantly racist, you know, or that was just part of the culture. It wasn't even a sense of being uh, of, of racism in a way that we might understand it as being a, a form of hatred. But um, there are words that she uses um, and descriptions that she has of, 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 of black people which um, are offensive um, and not just what you would be thinking of um, right now, but other, other, other things. So it's it's not impossible because I mean it's the it's the characters themselves who are saying this, and it's accurate to the character. But readers today don't seem as uh, open to exploring the idea of how people were back then, but the way that they sh- should be now. So we judge them from 2023. Um, in ways that they would not have been judged right, right. before. And so, you know, in 40 years, in 50 years, 60 years from now, people will be judging us by, by, the same val- by their mm-hmm. standards. And that's what's happening. And so there are a lot of stories that you can teach that are great, that, 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 that aren't pablum, that aren't offensive. But I think um, that's a change that has happened, you know, and this, the self-censorship that goes on because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings in class. Um, at the same time, creative writing is a, a venue where you do get to explore very difficult ideas and feelings and subjects. And so that continues to be encouraged. And I do tell my students that that's the kind of class this is. You know, we're writing about the human dilemma. And there are going to be some difficult subjects that are discussed. Well, do you do you worry or do your kids worry about the other end of this? <clears throat> Is that you're teaching them to read and they're reading interesting stuff, maybe controversial, maybe not. Um, but they're not learning how to run a business like your dad's business or they're not – I mean they're not prepared to go out in the community and uh, take on a job. Do you have to deal with the uh, – are, uh, are you talking about the efficacy of creative writing and creating a, a, a citizen who who graduating from college can go out and, and, and put on a tie and, 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 yeah. and work? Um, yeah, well, if, if you, I mean, do, you don't want to send a bunch of kids out who just appreciate English literature. Oh, that's absolutely wrong. I that's exactly the wrong way to go. And I know that you're, you know, you're just being a, a devil's advocate here, but um, there's no class more important than you could take in the university than creative writing. Um, we are storytelling people. I mean, it is what we've been, we do every day, all day long, all until we go to sleep. And if you know how to tell a story, if you know how to present a story, 
the if you know how to write and articulate and and share yourself with other people in whatever form it is, you will do much better in life in every aspect of your life. If you're a good storyteller. If you're a good storyteller. If you can express yourself with um, interestingly um, and provocatively in a in a way that gets people interested in you, you will do much better than if you just studied in STEM, if you did all, you know, just did science uh, for, for your four years. People who know how to write do better in life, period. Can and you train people? Or is it a gift that some people have? As storytellers, you absolutely like, like train a, people. You like anything else. There are tr- tricks and tips that you can learn in order to be a better storyteller. In order to be a better person who can share with other people who they who they are, and that's what stories are. You know, that's what we're sharing ourselves with other people. You can definitely teach that. You can't teach somebody to be um, Tony Morrison. Or William Faulkner, or John Updike, or um, uh, a genius, you know. Um, but you can you can teach them uh, all the tools that they need. Well, let me excuse me for doing this. This is getting us off the subject a little bit. But moving back towards your the book that you've just written about uh, your your brother-in-law William, this isn't going to end well. If if uh, William had been organized to to tell stories about himself rather than just going out and making stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would that have been? Would, would he have come to a different end? Yes, I. I. He was an incredible storyteller, but he used this, um, the other part of himself to tell them. He had a secret, which uh, he did not talk about, and as. Um, he, the longer he kept that secret, the bigger and more powerful it became. If he had been able to talk about his insecurities, you know, his 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 self-loathing, um, his feeling of not being secure in the world, um, he would have he, he would not have taken his own life. I feel, um, I, and I feel that keeping that secret, not telling those stories, is one of the reasons so many people do take their own lives. Every, you know, in America, one every 11 seconds. A suicide. Suicide. And then millions more attempt it and and fail, and and millions more than that uh, are thinking about it uh, in some way. And I do feel like this separating yourself from the rest of humanity with this secret that eventually becomes so powerful, you cannot withstand it, is one of the reasons that it happens. Yeah. If you joined us late, I'm visiting with Daniel Wallace. We're talking about a lot of things, but we're talking around his uh, most recent book, This Isn't Going to End Well, and he and I'll be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. And I'm visiting with Daniel Wallace. Uh, Daniel Wallace is a Chapel Hillian. He's known uh, pretty well because, uh, Daniel, you always said yes when people in the community have asked you to help with fundraising or with 
teaching or doing all kinds of good things. Literacy, the Orange County Literacy Council. That's I've worked with them a lot always, as you have. Yeah, yeah, always been a number one for you, and that's made quite a difference. But um, let's talk about some of the features in your book. Yeah. What a, what, the thing that hooked me was your opening scene. This uh, book, if people joined us late, this, this book centers around— <laughs> You can correct that if you want to. That, yeah, so that's, no, that's uh, right. Yeah, um, yeah. uh, the, the life of uh, William Neely, your brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the—tell us about the first time you really got hooked on William when, when uh, you were both younger, but he was, all, he was not as young as you were. Are you referencing the, the, the very first part of the— Yeah. yeah. Um, so— I came home from private school uh, in my tie and uh, looked out the back door window and there was my sister's boyfriend who I had yet to meet but who I knew of um, standing on the roof 30 feet above the pool below, which uh, none of that made sense to me. Uh, we, we used to have a, had had a diving board that was three feet above the water, but my mother had had it removed because she felt like it was too dangerous. Uh, and he was 30 feet above it and was clearly trying to um, figure out what was the best way to do this without killing himself. And seeing him do that, and he did it, and he didn't die, obviously, uh, at the time, but seeing him do that um, provided for me this vision of an alternate life that I could live. Um, now, I'm looking back on this as a you know, 64-year-old man. Uh, clearly, my 12-year-old self wasn't coming up with these observations and, and difference and understanding that he was providing me with this idea of a, a life on the edge or a life on the fringes of society the way where you know he lived. But in essence, that's what was happening then, and that's what happened as I really basically stalked him uh, for the rest of his life. You know, um, I did what he did to certain degrees. I did what he did that I could do. Uh, he was an um, outdoor adventurer, um, an adrenaline sports person. I was not that person as m- very, very much. I, I, I did a lot of um, mountain biking with him, um, but... I never went on the river with him. I, in eighth grade, uh, a year, year and a half after I met him, I started growing my hair long like him. I started wearing T-shirts, um, had maybe a rip in them. I, I was mimicking him uh, just to be more like him. Was he like a big brother in the sense? Well, he was like... It's hard to say what he was really like because he um, inhabited his own space. Um, I would say that um, he was like a big brother or um, maybe, gosh, I'm putting it in a familial, uh, uh, a familial setting, uh, he could have been um, uh, a wayward uncle, you know, maybe coming in um, because we – we never really talked about the things that we're talking about now or 
we never really talked about much of anything that was uh, that you would you would as, as suspect uh, would be important to 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 friends, which eventually became friends. But we really it was it, it, the intimacy with between men um, is, is is very thin sometimes, and with William. It was not what you talked about. It was what you did. So um, he did drugs, for instance, um, and I saw that as um, also something that would, that was acceptable for me at the time. When because William, because, because William we, did it. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, all, my entire family smokes, and so I I smoked. You know, I I had to learn how to do this. This is what we did. Um, and there are other things like that. Um, there's a scene in the book where we're um, riding back, to, we're driving back in separate cars from uh, from Birmingham, which is where we're all from, um, back to Chapel Hill. And uh, William William loved this kind of um, underground, private eye. Uh, um, a uh, secret agent kind of he had a part of him that was that that corresponded to that and um again this was decades ago things have changed since then but there was uh there were we we did drive around with drugs in the car and uh on the trip back um we had some but neither of us um, were holding it at the same time. Only one of us would have it in the car in case we got arrested. That only one, oh, I was going to ask you why there was this uh, exchanging of yeah. things. And it was, the, the, so now I understand. Yeah. Um, let me, um, at the core of the book, there is... Uh, William's suicide, which happens yeah. uh, late in the book, but not at the very end. And looking back at it, is there any way you could have um, you could have canceled him out of suicide or worked with him? Or you mean, I mean if I if I could have saved him? Yeah, that, is, that there's this weight on you of saying, well, you know, William was determined to end his life. And yeah. by the way, for the, those who uh, joined us late, we, the, the William, who is a central character in this uh, book that Daniel Wallace has written, was a hero of mine because of his talent as an artist and an outdoors yeah. person. And uh, so now I know more about him than I ever would have because you've written this book. And it's interesting to me just for that. And it also interests me that he committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And where along the way could he have been diverted, if at all? So I don't know. The I found uh, his journals after my sister died. I found um, twenty five of his journals that that he kept from when he was twenty five until he died in his, when he was forty eight in two thousand and one. And long story attached to the, to that action, but I decided to read them and discovered that from the age of 25, uh, he had been thinking about uh, taking his own life, that he had um, uh, instances of suicidal ideation. Uh, of, and of suicide. Suicidal ideation, which is um, sometimes 
voices sometimes mm. the um the being fixated on this idea this goal of taking your own life so he was the kind of person and there are i think and sadly so many of them who actually made a choice to live or, or to die on an almost daily basis you know, it, it was a real choice every day every day um, and in his journals, that is something that is constant um, year after year. It, it wasn't all bad, but it's still, regardless of how good or bad things were, that was actually beside the point. It was who he was. <clears throat> and of course, when somebody does die by suicide, that is this, that's what sticks with you, um, this idea of what could I have done? How could I have saved him? How did I fail him? Uh, so, and in, and in many cases, in most cases, it remains a lifelong mystery. Uh, but the thing that makes William's choice, I think, clearer than most uh, suicides is this supporting information that I had reading a thousand pages of his journals. I got to know him um, in person. I got to know the William that he presented to us. And through reading the journals, I got to know this other secret side of him. And putting both of those together, I came away with what I felt was um, uh, a, a reason, an explanation for why he did take his own life. And no, I don't think that there was anything that anybody could have done on their own to save him. Well, well, I don't want to leave this uh, behind. I'm just kind of inserting it right now off. But um, William, the subject of your book, was also your brother-in-law. Right. And was uh, married to your sister, Holly. Yeah. And uh, what kind of husband was he? He was an, uh, an amazing husband. He was um, the only man, I think, who could have been her husband. They met when they were 12 or 13 years old for the first time, and after that were on and off together for the rest of their lives. When she was 21, she came down with rheumatoid arthritis, severe rheumatoid arthritis, and this is before the time that it could be arrested or cured. Um, she became debilitated. Um, this is a, a, a woman who's the girlfriend of a man who his life is lived outdoors. His life is lived in a, a in the adrenaline sports world, now he has to be a nurse. He has to be. He has to take care of her. He was her other half, and I know we talk, we say that all the time. Like, how's your better half? Um, or you complete me. Without William, she would not have had a life. But with him, he was able to construct um, his van. Uh, which was is, is like a travel it was like a, a traveling um, bedroom for her there was she was able to to because she couldn't sit in a chair she couldn't sit in a seat for very long so she was spread out in the back with her books and um, a glass of water and just driving all over the all over, wherever they wanted to go he fixed everything he did, he cooked all the meals so there is nobody that I'm ever have known uh, who could have 
done everything that he did for her for, for decades. For those of us who know you and like you, and now we're very few. People no, no, many, many, many people, and some of us now have through your book have been introduced to William, mm -hmm. uh, who's the central character in the book, and some of us were admirers of William for different reasons for a long yeah. time to go. So I'm, I'm just curious, did here are two, two sets of Birmingham people, mm -hmm. um, four, three of them, who wind up in Chapel Hill. So did you follow them to Chapel Hill or did they follow you to Chapel Hill? Oh, I for sure followed them. My Holly and William moved here first. I was going to college in Atlanta at Emory and – uh, coming up here, visiting them a lot and really loved Chapel Hill, but uh, they were more my friends than most of the people that I'd met at school at Emory. And so I transferred to UNC uh, to be close to them and to be to be able to hang out with them. And even though the age difference was significant as when you're younger, as you get older, the difference doesn't mean as much. Right? Seven seven years is a lot when you're 12, but it's not so much as when you're 25. Mm -hmm. So eventually we became, became friends. Good friends. And then my my little sister Barry moved here. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she lives here now in Hillsborough. Yeah. So well, yeah. well excuse me for we don't have. I've got to move on, but real quickly, I was entranced with um, what they did, where they lived, and I didn't know them, so I didn't know where they were. Uh, yeah. But they were building kind of a little empire in Chapel Hill. Well, it it was in. Um, Where did they live? It was off of Arthur Menace Road. Were in, they in, in, in Hillsborough or Chapel Hill? In Hillsborough, uh -huh. and they had twenty acres there. Uh, as soon as you drove in their gate, you were in another world. I mean, it was they lived in their art, and Holly was uh, an artist. Uh, he was an artist. Uh, there was, it, it, it really, it, it, it was, it was like going through a, a, um, a force field of, of life that you, you came to this, this beautiful house which he built, um, and uh, that house was completely overrun by art. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. And, you know, it was – William called it Club Ned, uh, and that's kind of what it felt like, kind of a Club Med for goofballs. Well, listen, we got to take a break. Uh, if you joined us late, I'm visiting with Daniel Wallace about his new book, This Isn't go Going to End Well, and he's explaining to us uh, why it wasn't going to end well. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. I'm visiting with Daniel Wallace, and I'm visiting with him about his most recent book, It Isn't Going to End Well. And the story, one of the storylines for me is that Daniel Wallace has never written until now a book of nonfiction, although, gosh, you've got six, seven, eight, nine books under your belt, including, of course, The Big Fish right. <laughs> and other books in which you're uh, – free to um, bend and make up facts that make it a better story. And this one, you were restrained, weren't you? Was this harder yeah. or easier for you to stick, just stick to the facts? Well, 
some people have asked me, why didn't I write a novel? Take this and take all this stuff I had uh, and turn it into a, a, a fictional uh, project. And once you, if you read the book, um, you you'll realize what I did is that I didn't have to make anything up. It's all there. Um, there's nothing I had to do in this book, really, that would make it a more interesting book. You just had to select the stories to tell rather than making them up. Exactly. I had to. I had. I had. It's really what you don't use in a book um, that makes it work. Uh, this is a relatively short book, and so many people have told me they read it in one setting, literally, or mm-hmm. you know, in in a, in a 24-hour period. It is surprising. To me, a page turner, even though you already know how it ends, yes. you know how it ends from page one. Uh, so it was definitely a new skill I had to learn how to use what the facts were and and somehow insert them into this book where it tells a compelling story. Because you know, writing about our lives as they if we were to write about our lives as they were happening, most of our days are kind of dull. You know, life, for the most part, uh, not a lot happens. So you don't want to write about that part. You want to write about the parts um, that are interesting, that are in some way will appeal to a reader, and at the, while at the same time getting an accurate idea of who these people are and the events that made them who they are. So that was another reason why it took so long for me to to produce this book. I got a lot of more I would love to, like to, for you to talk to me about about this book, but now I'm curious. You spent seven years writing this book, or maybe more, really, but what do you, what, what the, do you want to just get back in writing uh, these tales you've got that you know how to write better than anybody? Uh, well, I don't know. I'm. I have to write. I mean, I've been doing it forever, and and I can't imagine not writing. I'm n- not as interested in uh, in publishing a book. Oh, really? Yeah. I. I don't know. I mean, I think people have probably heard enough. That's from selfish, me. isn't it? Well, no, I don't think so. I think it's writing is a selfish act in many ways. Uh, but if I never write a book. I never publish a book again. Nobody is going to say I really missed that book he never well, wrote. Well, let me let me uh, get you to, get, to correct me. But I mean, here's here's my idea. Here's the Big Fish Man, and most of his books are about really imaginary, imaginary people. Like in Big Fish, could never really happen, but you get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. And then, but but recently, this wasn't. Um, this was not. This was fiction as well, but about the uh, contest winner guy. <laughs> what was the name of that book? <laughs> Extraordinary. Uh, Extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, which was uh, which moved to to me. It was set in Birmingham, and, uh, yeah. and 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 since I had been a lawyer defending um, people who used these games to get people to come and buy mm-hmm. property from them. Yeah, it was. It, it approached reality. Yeah. You don't have any time left, but yeah. Are you, is that are you moving more and more towards nonfiction? I I would I think it's really interesting, and I think you get to an age where you look back more than you look ahead, and so investigating who you were, who you are, 
drawn from who you were, I think is pretty interesting. Well, you're an interesting guy, and you have interesting stories. And it's an interesting thing that we're privileged to have you in our community. Uh, I am, too. I'm so glad I live here. Our guest has been on Who's uh, uh, Talking, has been Daniel Wallace, uh, who's told us a lot about himself and about his new book, uh, This Isn't Going to End Well. And I hope you come back sometime and talk some more. You've got me thinking about things that you need to help me come closer. Anytime. And thanks to all y'all for listening. Uh, This is D.G. Martin, who's talking. I'll be back here before you know it.